Amen. Well, good morning. Um, I don't know. Happy New Year. I don't know if it's because of the New Year or because Georgia won or what, but it's so good to see a full house, but also the Lord is here this morning. My heart is, my heart is so full, and I don't know about y'all, but I felt expecting that the Lord was going to show up, and man, was worship full. Amen? Was that good? Let's just pray, because I don't even know where to start. I just feel like I'm about to like, implode a little bit, so let's just come to the Lord's in prayer because I was reminded during that time of worship, when David's prayer in Psalms, he says, one thing I ask, one thing I desire, to, to be in the temple and gaze on the beauty of the Lord all my life. And my wife is beautiful, my, my son's beautiful, but compared to the beauty of the Lord, I, I think we so easily forget that in his presence, not only is all that we need, but in his presence is all that we could ever want. Let's pray. God, you know where we're at better than we do. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that you've torn down the veil, God, and you've separated the wall between us, God, through Jesus. I just ask that we could stay in your presence this morning, Father, and this is a hard, polarizing message. Thank you for softening the hearts, and I pray that we receive and we get to know and see your heart more. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, church. I'm so glad you're here to worship with us. And um, I have a lot to say or a lot I want to say, probably just a little bit the Lord needs to say, but um, I'm super excited. And this is Ascending Sunday, and Lord willing, our hope is that the first of every year, first Sunday of every year, we're not going to have a new vision or a new word from the Lord. Not that that's not important, but we want to go back to the word he's already given us. We want to go back to the basics, to the, to the foundation, the great commission on what it means to live sent. So there's two things I hope you can take away from today. One, what does it mean to live sent? And two, why do we send missionaries? What does it mean to live sent and why do we send? And we're gonna take a look, of course, in the Bible, but we're gonna take a look at God's heart to see and kind of come to these conclusions and kind of work our way through this here because if I ask you this, if I said, hey, give me some missionary verses from the Bible, like some verses about the nations, what will we say? Yeah, like Great Commission. All right, that's like a C. Acts 1 8. We're moving to like the B territory, right? Might even throw something else in there from one of the Gospels. And John, you like an A plus on this? Like, we'd probably, like the New Testament, everybody says Great Commission, Matthew 28, right? And then a lot of times Acts 1 8. And then after that, we're kind of like, well, what else? And rarely do we think of the Old Testament. Rarely do we think of a lot of places, really, because I think growing up in church, there's this general belief. That like other things, missions is just a topic with a few verses in it that the Bible has to talk about. Just like, just like money, or just like marriage, or just like finances, or just like pride, or just like anger, missions is over here. Well, I, wanna ch I, I believe God's word wants to challenge us on that thinking this morning because I would argue that missions is not one topic in this Bible. <clears throat> it is the basis of the Bible. This is a missionary book about a missionary God and we so easily don't see that this morning. I pray that we do see that because just like any other book, there's an introduction, Genesis 1 through 11. There's a body or a, a middle of the story, Genesis 12, all the way up to Revelation. And then there's a conclusion, Revelation. And we're not gonna be able to cover the whole Bible, obviously, in one Sunday. I know we had a combined service, so we're trying to go twice as long, but just kidding. But, <laughs> but um, thanks for laughing, I needed that. But no, um, we're gonna do a quick survey and pull a few things out to really see God's heart because there's 66 books in this Bible, two testaments, but one story. And there's one overarching theme. And something I'm gonna to refer to today, I'm gonna to use the, the, the terminology, the language, global thread, because all throughout this Bible, there's a thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation. And let's start by looking at two truths that the scripture's gonna make very clear this morning. The first one is, God's ultimate goal is for us to enjoy his grace and extend his glory among all nations. Have y'all ever thought about that? Like, what's God's purpose? That's like a big question, right? Like, what's his ultimate purpose? Like, why did he create us? His ultimate purpose, his ultimate goal is for us to enjoy his grace and extend his glory to all nations. Truth number two, and it's a, it's a, deduction of this one, 
Therefore, our, right, the ultimate goal of every Christian and every church is to enjoy God's grace and extend God's glory among all nations. Because if we are created in his image and created on purpose for a purpose, it makes sense that his mission becomes what? Our mission, absolutely, right? So we're gonna walk through because we're gonna look because God's plan all throughout the Bible, he uses people to accomplish his work through us. And so we see this and the Great Commission, a lot of times we, we say it ambiguously, but the Great Commission is not an option to be considered, but it's a command to be obeyed and specifically completed. You see that from the beginning, we see the, the commissioning of God, and I'm gonna go to um, Genesis chapter one. Oh, really quick, before I do, sorry, I'm everywhere this morning. Who in here, show of hands, if you've grown up in church? Most of us, right? If you didn't, that's okay. It might be easier for you to honestly grasp some of this. But we do a really good job of teaching the Bible in church a lot of times, or at least my background did. Had awesome Sunday school teachers. They did a great job. But the problem was I learned a lot of the Bible as individual stories, not as a part of one story. And that's okay. That's not incorrect. It's just incomplete. Because I would learn an Old Testament story. I would take out personal applications, and it was almost like the Bible was more about Ethan how Jesus loves Ethan, Jesus loves me, for this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We're really good at getting that part, but there's this big disconnect to the overall story. And so if you had a good teacher, you probably had a personal application, you probably had them point to how this points to the coming Messiah to Jesus, but then it stopped there. And so we're gonna point out the overall story that we often are really good as a church, especially Westerners, of enjoying his grace part, the salvation part, the free gift part, but not the extending his glory part. Let's look at Genesis chapter one. We're gonna fly through this and we're gonna fly through the Old Testament hopefully in like 10 minutes. And so the fastest we've ever gone through the Old Testament. Y'all ready? Genesis one, verse 28. The very first thing God speaks to mankind, he says this. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The very thir- first thing he said to them, it says God blessed them. What's unmerited? Have they done anything to earn it? No. We call unmerited favor what? Grace, absolutely. So God blessed them, enjoy my grace, and he says, be fruitful and multiply. Well, Ethan, it doesn't say the word glory. Great question, great point. It doesn't because guess what? Sin wasn't present yet. And so they were living a life of glory in God. They were living a life in worship because sin was not present. It was heaven on earth. They were constantly in his presence. So when he says be fruitful and multiply, he's saying, hey, I wanna multiply worshipers all throughout this earth so that you can enjoy me as you glorify me. Does that make sense? Like we miss this, it's so easy to miss because it's, it's, it's not really like point face value if you see it, especially if you're like having me focused lens, right? But from the beginning, the purpose is enjoy my grace, multiply, extend my glory. And so we keep going, right? Some sin happens, the, the, the fall of man, right? Adam and Eve uh, eat the apple. What happens? Separation from God. God promises a coming Messiah. Later in Genesis, I'll give you the three highlights, I think, in my opinion, of of the introduction of the Bible. Later in Genesis, the flood happens, another rebellion. No one sought after God. Everyone turned their back to him. God says, everyone's corrupt. No one's seeking after me. And so he hits the reset button. Crazy, right? Saves Noah and his family and a pair pair of all the animals on the ark. Fast forward, after, as soon as they get off the ark, and there's a rainbow and God's promise, Noah builds an altar make sacrifices and they worship, and then God speaks. And you know what God says? Genesis chapter nine, verse one. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Where do we just hear that? Genesis one, right? He just said the same thing, I say just, it was like a lot of years that went in between them, but he said the same thing to Adam and Eve, and now he hits the reset because there was no worshipers. They They were multiplying and filled the earth. But guess what? They were all rebellious. No one turned towards God. They turned away from God. So he reset it, starting with Noah, and gives the same command, enjoy my grace, extend my glory. Well, then later, the last thing, kind of, kind of the, the pinnacle of the introduction is the Tower of Babel. And guess what? I'm gonna read this. It's not on the screen. But if you don't know, the Tower of Babel is where they were building this tower. And starting in verse four, it says in Genesis 11, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. You see this third rebellion? 
God said, make my name great and multiply. They said, let's build a tower to the heavens so we can be great and we don't have to scatter. We can stay together. That's in direct rebellion to what God told them to do. Crazy, right? So what happens then? God comes, he confuses their language. That's why it's called Babel. And it says, from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And there were 72 families and cool connection Later, when Jesus commissioned the disciples, how many disciples did he send out? 72. How many languages were created right then? 72. Pretty cool, right? It's a task to be completed. Moving on. Later, y'all stay with me. I know this is like seminary class really fast, right? <laughs> I just really want us to see there's this commissioning from God that has always been evident. And it just didn't just come on the scene because the New Testament showed up, Right? At the very beginning of the whole rest of the Bible, after this introduction, we see what does God do after the Tower of Babel? His purpose is for people to enjoy his grace and extend his glory. But now he's confused their languages because they wanted to make themselves great. He separated them, split them up. But what does he do? He selects Abram, which we later know as Abraham. And he says, I will make you great so that you will make me known amongst all nations. And this word nations, we're going to hear nations and peoples a lot today. It's a, it's a Greek, or so the, the, the derivative is ethnos. And so what that means is peoples, people groups. And we can talk more about that later, but I'll keep moving. And so Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, listen to this. This is really the first, people consider this the first great commission. The Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You hear that or see that? All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What was God's redemptive plan to reach all peoples that he just separated? Abraham, I've chosen you and your family line and your seed and your, and your heirs and I'm gonna use you to reach them. I'm gonna bless you so you can bless them. The gospel's gonna come to you to go through you. I'm saving you to send you. We say that a lot, right? We see it all the way from there. Abraham was commissioned, and he says, I'm gonna bless you to be a blessing. And so all throughout the rest of the Old Testament, it's pretty much about how God is using his chosen people and coming upon them to reach other people all so they can enjoy his goodness while extending his glory. And I'll just give a few examples. Three different times, I won't go into the weeds of this, but three different times, he reminds Abraham of this promise. Then he reminds his son Isaac, then his son Jacob. Why do we think that he reminded his son Isaac and then his grandson of the promise to his, their father and grandfather? I think God was trying to tell us it's the family business. You are a part of the heir. You are a part of the seed of Abraham. You are a part of my chosen people. I have chosen to go reach all peoples. And you're like, well, I'm not really Abraham's descendant. I did my gene genealogy test, and I'm like from somewhere in, I don't know where Abraham was from, but Indonesia, I don't know, right? Like, like I, that he's, not my, he's not my whatever, but Galatians 3.29, Paul says, if you are in Christ, you are a child of Abraham. Therefore, a seed of Abraham, therefore, an heir of the promise. What is he talking about? He's talking about this promise right here. If you are in Christ today, if you are truly a believer in Jesus Christ, you now have a new purpose, a new identity, and God has blessed you where you can be in his presence and enjoy his grace, but your purpose is forever changed because now your whole purpose is to extend his glory, not just where you live, but amongst all peoples, all nations. Is this making sense? A little bit. And so, he, we, I'll keep moving on, but just a few famous stories that I think we're really good at enjoying his grace, but not really good at extending his glory part is um, Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Like we know the story, they, they, they defied the king. Nebuchadnezzar, they didn't bow down to his idol. He saw himself as a god. He said, they said, Nebuchadnezzar, listen, even if, even if God doesn't save us, we believe he can. Even if he doesn't save us, we're still not gonna bow down to you. We worship him and him alone. They throw him in the fire, what happens? All of a sudden they see a fourth person Jesus or an angel in there with them, they come out, the ropes are burned off, they didn't even smell like, they weren't singed at all. And, th and then we make personal applications. There's even a song, Another in the Fire, I think Blake's favorite band, right, Hillsong. 
And we make these personal applications, talk about how Jesus is right there with us and let's have a strong faith. That's not incorrect. It's just incomplete. Because directly after that, what happens? King Nebuchadnezzar comes and makes a decree, and here's what he says. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. Wow. For no other God can save in this way. Isn't it crazy how God uses both good and evil kings for his purposes, for his glory? Imagine if Putin right now all of a sudden said, wow, I've been in the wrong, I've messed up, Ukraine did nothing to us, and everyone else he's messed with his whole life, that he's just been like an evil king, I think we could relate that to. What if he got, what if he got on the world stage right now and said, I just wanna say that Jesus and Jesus alone saves, and he's the only God. That's essentially what happened through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we miss that because we're so focused on personal application to like making it through trials. It's not incorrect it's just incomplete. A few, a few chapters later, and we, uh, Daniel 6, Daniel aligns them. We all know what happened. I'll speed up. At the end of it, we all know what happened until, listen to this, King Darius made a decree, but this time he went one step further than Nebuchadnezzar. King Darius wrote, he wrote letters to all the nations and peoples of every language. He had that thing translated by scribes to every people group and to every language. And here's what the decree said. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Wow. Do you see the shift here? Now when I start to understand God's purposes, I'm praying a lot less for my comfort and my safety and a lot less getting emotionally charged up about the Democratic president or, or the Republican president because I realize he can use evil and good. He can, use, he can use great and small all for his glory if we can just put the attention on him. And so we're really good at Daniel and the Lions then. I'm talking about, man, there's, there's a book, a pretty good book. It's like in, in, the pit, in, a, in, the, in the lion's pit on a snowy day. And it's talking about how to have faith where even while you're sitting amongst the lions, you don't, you don't back down from serving God. And that's great. But we forget the whole purpose of enjoying God's grace and saying yes and living sin is so that all the nations might know of his great name. And we so easily just focus on part A because it's relevant to me, but not the part that's more relevant to him. I'll keep moving. And I'll just hit us with, it's, it's, I'll just say this as a disclaimer because I can't hit all these verses um, for the sake of time to move on. But we are gonna have sending our classes in the future that, that help us not only go through the global thread more in detail, but then we're gonna talk about how to share the gospel in the workplace and at home and with friends. Very, just bare bones, like where do we start and then how to make disciples. And so I encourage you in the future when we do that, man, I love to, we, I love to talk about this more with you, but we just can't right now. It's, there's, there's a lot of the Old Testament. <laughs> but two more that are pretty common. Y'all finish this for me. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, right? What, well, there's no period there. What's the rest of it say? So that your nations may be known on the earth, your, salva your salvation among all nations. Whoa. We don't put that on our coffee mug, do we? We just put the first part, right? What about one more and then we'll move on because I think y'all get it. Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I'm God. Does the verse stop there? It doesn't. There's no period. Go check it out for yourself. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Whoa. And we're not making this up. Like, this is the Bible refining our theology here, right? Like, from the whole Bible, there's a thread that's about enjoying his grace to extend his glory. And we're okay. Don't get depressed. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel less than. It's okay that's why it's important to study and know God's word so we can more so know God and his heart because when we love God, we, we care about what he cares about. And when we're in Christ, his purpose becomes our purpose. And so it's important to see that his purposes from Genesis 1 
all the way to Revelation. I'm just going to skip ahead to Revelation in 7, 9 where it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So we see he gives us this commissioning in Genesis 1. We see it all throughout about all peoples worshiping him and enjoying him. And then at the end, guess what? We see it fulfilled. And we're living in this in-between where it hasn't come yet, but it is coming. But let me read, because that's, that's the thread about, you know, enjoying his grace and extending his glory. Let me read a few stats. There's three problems. There's three problems I want to look at with the current state of the world today. One is over three billion people are currently unreached by the gospel. And I want to define unreached because unreached doesn't just mean lost. There's people who are just as lost here in Toombs County at Metter High School, especially Metter, right? Just kidding. I just didn't like Metter when I was in high school. But a, a girl, like, anyways. But so there's people, <laughs> there's people just as lost here as there are in Yemen or Turkey or Iraq. But the difference is we have access to the gospel here. There are churches here. Unreached means they don't have access. So, like, ideally what this means is, or just practically, they're going to live and die without ever hearing of the hope of heaven. Wow. Right? I'm going to show you all a map of where this is. We have a map up here, and I'm going to walk through it real quick. If I was like a good teacher, I'd have like a laser pointer, but I don't. Um, but you see those places in the red? This is a very rough, like, draft, very general map. It's not super specific and zoomed in, of course. But the areas that are green, that's the areas that are reached, right? Doesn't mean everyone's heard the gospel. Obviously, it doesn't mean everyone's saved. But it means everyone has access to hear the gospel, right? Places that are yellow. Places that are kind of reached, meaning there was, some, there was some work started there. And it either died off or maybe it's just getting started, right? You see that kind of near the top of the map. Then you have this place we call the 1040 window, 10 degrees longitude, 40 degrees latitude, or vice versa. I mix it up a lot. But you have this window in the middle where it's red, right? And what this means is that's where over 3 billion people live, where there's hardly any churches. Some of these places on, on, on pinpoints are reached, but for the majority, there's no access to the gospel. And over three billion people are living in these areas where there's no access. That's the first problem of the current state. Secondly, the second problem is the church is practically ignoring the people in places most unreached by the gospel. Out of the billions of dollars that come into Western churches each year and churches worldwide that extends beyond billions, out of all that money, there's a percentage given towards missions. And out of that bucket that's given towards missions, 99% of missions giving from the global churches goes to areas that are green, that are already reached. Put that map back up there for me, bro. Wow. 99% of all missions giving, not, not even church giving, because that goes to the missions fund, right? And then that fund, 99% of that goes to areas that are already green and a little bit of yellow, only 1%, this stat was measured like two years ago, it's pretty accurate, only 1% goes to places that are unreached. Well, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So do you think people are praying? If, if there's not any money or finances going there, do you think there's a lot of prayers going there? No, right? Also, you can see this too, because typically what you're praying for, that's where you send, and um, it's about the same percentage, about 90-something, 90 92% of missionaries that are sent go to places that are already green already reached and so the problem is we've got to mobilize billions of dollars and ten thousands of missionaries to go to where the gospel's not and there's nothing wrong we we have family in mexico there's nothing wrong with places that are already reached but what we're saying is as a church we're going to focus on sending church planners and missionaries to the places where there is no access to the gospel and there is no church we bless those trips, we say yes and amen, we come alongside, we partner with some of them, but ultimately, what we're trying to focus on is this great imbalance of a lot of the world's already reached, but over three billion are not. And so this is a truth that is, is heavy and it's hard, but as the church, we have to wake up to the reality 
what the nations looks like today, right? Um, just to make this real, I remember being in Malaysia, and I don't think, in Indian Malaysia, I had never been in a place before where I mentioned the name of Jesus and someone said, who is that? Just because we grew up in Badea, right? Like, that's not a thing. But I remember being in Malaysia, and I was talking to this teenager they had a really cool, like, sports ministry there where to the government, it's a closed-access country. It's like you can't be, you know, Christian legally. And the, the, the local there, the Malaysian, they had a sports ministry, almost ran like FCA, um, where that was the cover for the government, but it was like a secret underground church. And I remember they were invited somebody, and I was playing soccer with them, and I told them about Jesus. And it broke my heart when he said, who's Jesus? Like, he thought he was somebody coming to play soccer with us. It's like, where's he at? And it just hit me. If somebody doesn't come, like, how many others are like them? They, they, don't even, they just don't even know. And for some places that are like, there's a civil war going on in Yemen right now. Over 30 million people live in Yemen. There's less than 1,000 Christians there. Yemen right now, like that civil war in the state of their government, they're living in an earthly hell on the way to an eternal hell without even the chance of hearing the hope of the gospel. We can't just ignore that, right? Um... I remember in Botswana, this is cool, his name was Joshua. A lot of places in Botswana are reached, but not all places. And I was talking to this dude named Joshua, and eventually he came to pray and receive Jesus um, as his Lord and Savior and got saved, and it was awesome. And as soon as he did that, I won't use the cuss word, but he said, where the heck have you been my whole life? He said, why has no one ever told me? Somewhere along the way, the church has forgotten. We don't just exist to get saved and wait till heaven. We exist to enjoy his grace but extend his glory. And that can't be more evident because over years you now see a map that should be green everywhere if the church stayed pure and on mission and not divisive. But now you see it scattered and not strategic and blinded. The third problem is the number of unreached people is higher today than ever before and will continue to increase until the church decides to change. And I'll say it in other words like this. This means that if we don't change, more people in the history of mankind go to hell without even hearing about heaven, without even hearing about Jesus. This brings up tough questions. I've talked with a lot of people and students and like adults this should and probably does right now stir up some tough questions in your mind because you're like, man, aren't they innocent if they are ignorant, if they don't hear? Or how, like, how could God do that? How could a loving God send people? Like, there's a lot of tough questions that every time when you, when you first understand this great imbalance, you have to wrestle with some deep things of the Lord to be like emotionally okay about it. But I'm just gonna say this. We can't let our emotions, our experiences, or our opinions define God or our theology. Scripture is very clear that Jesus is the only way to the Father and to heaven. And it's also very clear that how will they believe if they don't hear? And how, and Paul says in Romans 10, and how will they hear if someone doesn't tell them? And how will someone tell them unless they are sent? So Scripture makes that very clear. And so I'm not gonna get into that like rabbit trail of potential hard questions, but we, we can talk about those at some other time. And so, what I want to encourage us today is there's over 300-something thousand churches in America. There's considered 7,000-ish unreached people groups, which means less than 2% Christianity or missionaries working there. And then unengaged, there's a, there's a little over, I think, 3,000 people groups, which means there's not even, as far as we know, a missionary presence there at all. And so let's just take that top number, 7,000. But if one out of, I think it's like one out of every 72 churches in America say we're gonna adopt one people group and take them off the map for the kingdom and send missionaries and mobilize, do the whole thing, we could potentially see Revelation 7, 9 come true within the next 30 to 50 years. But the church, and I'm saying the church, I know we're just one church right here, but just in general, I want our theology to be refined here. The church has to wake up to the great imbalance of God's glory that's being robbed all over the world. And so I don't share all these stats. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to like, Practically, like how do we boil this down, right? Because I know this is a lot. 
and I'm sorry it's a lot, but it's, it's probably good. Um, this can be very overwhelming and very paralyzing. And me as a sending pastor, it has been. And my wife and I have been, I thought I would be overseas by now when I was younger. I felt called to missions. And I thought for sure I'd be a missionary. So I did one ministry, then I did another ministry, YWAM, then I did another ministry called The World Race. And I was overseas about a year and a half. And I kept thinking, like, one of these countries, like, I've been to about 21 countries now. And I kept thinking, like, one of these countries, God's going to just reveal to me and, like, hit me. Holy Spirit's just going to wreck me. And I'm going to know these are the people I'm called to. It never happened. Every country I went to, I was hungry for more peoples and more peoples. And I was always like, Lord, we're willing to go. Just make it clear. And he kept shutting these doors. At long-term opportunities, he kept shutting these doors. And, and lo and behold, God has brought, God, you know, I was willing to go anywhere, I thought. Or at least I genuinely believed that. And then God brings me back to my hometown, which was just so funny to me. But I had to wrestle with this. Like, is there, is there a category for someone who feels called to go? Or someone who sees the command to go? Is there a category for a believer who is passionate about the nations? but doesn't go, there is, it's called a Christian. It's called being in Christ. Why could I be a good mobilizer or sending pastor, not saying I am, but why could I? Because I'm a Christian. And what God's purpose is becomes my purpose, what he cares about becomes what I care about. Is this making sense? And so, I'm getting ahead of myself. The last, the last thing I'll say about this is it can seem super overwhelming and even at times it can seem like, man, how I'm looking at a map of all these unreached every day in my office and I'm like, people are dying to go to hell. This is a lie and I have to zoom back out and not look at the problem, but look at who. This is a very big problem, but guess what? We serve a really big God. And so I encourage you as you leave, it can be discouraging, it can feel kind of guilt-driven. That's not why we're doing this. We need to know the truth of Scripture and the reality of the world. We need to know that to have a sober understanding. But let's not dwell on things that aren't Him. Let's keep zooming back out and looking at God, right? Let that be our focal point through this. And so with that being said, I'm going to draw two conclusions. Like I said, I'm excited. I have a ton of notes for the sake of time and making this more practical, like what now? But two practical conclusions of what now. And one is, we are to be living sent where we are or where God has placed us right now. So to truly enjoy his grace and extend his glory, we have to be living sent right now because from the beginning of mankind, we were created for this purpose. Second Corinthians 5, I preached on this during our um, Be the Church series that we just concluded last week, I believe, or a couple weeks ago. Second Corinthians 5, 17 talks about, therefore now we're a new creation in Christ. And goes on to say, we're therefore ambassadors of Christ. If you are in Christ, don't say, like, I get off on this a little bit and I'll get, like, frustrated because just some experiences in my life, but I need to have grace in this. But we can't justify not extending God's glory because it's not my gifting. We can't justify not extending God's glory because it's uncomfortable or I'll get in trouble with my boss. We can't. I read that story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I'm like, man, they didn't have a I'm gonna get fired speech, right? Like, we, we can't justify not living sin because if, we're, if we wanna come to the root of it, there's a good book I'm reading right now, but if we wanna come to the root of it, we probably don't have a proper view of God because if we really understood and saw God, a lot of times we get saved and there's this, there's this guilty word we, we avoid like the plague and it's called evangelism. And we want to do everything we, we want to do everything in the Christian life except for tell people about Jesus and make disciples, <laughs> right? It's, it, instead of the great commission, it becomes the great admission. Like we admit we don't want that, right? Like there's this thing in the Christian life that's it's it's like we get saved, but oh, I got to like do this too, almost like like God fooled us. Like oh, he he, he baited us in, and now you got to live sin. But here's the thing: is I think it's because a lot of times we have the wrong view of God. Because when you have the proper view of God and who He is and how good He is, it becomes an overflow. Not I have to share the gospel; I get to share the gospel. Not dang it, I, I really wish, like man, I want them to know, but I don't want to offend them, or I, they might think less of me. It comes like I don't care what they think of me; they have to know the truth. When we are in love with Jesus and we see God for who He truly is, I believe David did in Psalms 27. I said earlier, He says, "Better is one day in your courts." It's like a gaze on your beauty. When we really gaze upon the Lord like this, there is no way on this earth 
there is not an urge inside of us that wants people around us to know about Jesus and his goodness. And so a lot of our event, event, like evangelism problem, sharing the gospel problem, making disciples problem is like, we have the wrong view of God and or we're just not in love with the Lord. And the, the, the nemesis of living sin is no intimacy with God. I love how I think Mark Batterson says it this way. He says, um, the desire to reach the lost is a result of our intimacy with Jesus while it also causes our intimacy to grow. Our desire for reaching lost people isn't because you're a great person. Isn't because you're Mother Teresa and you were just born super compassionate. All compassion outside of Christ's compassion is not true compassion. It has a selfish root in nature. You're not just better. The desire to reach people comes from the God who created you with that very DNA inside of you that gets excited when it sees God being glorified. And so when I'm in love with Jesus, guess what happens? I love people. When I'm in love with Jesus, guess what happens? I want people to know him. And if we can get to the place, honestly, church, if we can get to the place, like, I'll just say caveat here. Yes, in the future, we're going to have hopefully four to five times, we're, we're strategically, this year in Tombs County, going to focus on low-income like low housing and doing service projects there to build long-term relationships to bring people into connecting relationship with Jesus Christ. As a church, we're going to provide that avenue for you. As a church, we partner with other ministries that you can come alongside and help us. Like, as a church, we're going to have sending classes on how to live sent practically. We're going to do our best to equip you to do that, to give later short-term mission trips, to give these local community outreaches. But if we want to reach our community, that's great. The church, like, we as a church can help provide that together as opportunities. But if we want to reach our community, the number one and always number one way will be each person takes the gospel on their daily route, wherever they are, wherever they live. We can go to the Vadea Village. We can go to these places and do a daycare and VBS kids. We can do that, and I love it, and I bless it, and we will do that. But what happens when, when, when Mason's at the gym sharing the gospel? And, 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 and I don't know anybody's name right now, but when I, <laughs> I got so excited, I just like thought of Christmas. That was weird. But what happens, like what happens when, when, when you're at work or you're at home around the dinner table, like if we're truly living sin, let's quit making excuses and just understand that we don't like being uncomfortable and it's scary and it's hard, but guess what? That's why he's right there with us. And if our heart is really, a question they ask at Engage Global, our training, I love it. Um, a question um, they ask, he says, whose story are you living for? He ends kind of the weekend with this. Whose story are you living for? Your story or God's story? If we really can say yes to I'm living for God's story, what that means is I'm saying in every asset, aspect, faucet, and area of my life, I want God to be glorified in the pickup sports I play, at the gym, at the office, with my family, with my friends, my relatives. If our genuine heart is God, use me, be glorified through me, I promise you fruit will happen. Learning how to share the gospel, make disciples, that comes. That comes being in community, that comes asking questions. But taking initiative, if our heart, and that might be the prayer this morning, that your heart is like, I don't desire that, but I want to. If we were a church, this would be crazy, if we were a church that said, God, use me for your glory and meant it, we would see the classroom change, we would see the, the coaching and the teams change, we would see, like, we would see our families change, we would see our friends, our relatives, that annoying uncle we see once a, once a year at Christmas. I don't have any of those, but I know my uncle's here, but I didn't mean that. <laughs> like, we, we, we will see the community change. God used 12 disciples to turn the world upside down. What if, what if three, or five, three to 500 of us had that same tenacity? Do you really believe God can use you? And I love it when someone's weak or small or they don't know much about the Bible. I love it because God loves using, using people and things that are weak and small because it makes him look even greater. So no one in here has an excuse. The only qualification, if you're already a believer in Christ, to be in use is to be willing and have a heart that says, yes, use me. And so the, 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 one of the two conclusions of this morning is like, why do we have Ascending Sunday? Why is it the beginning of the new year? Because we believe if every member lives sent, 
Tombs counted would be reached very quickly. Bottom line. Secondly, and this is my last point. Um, I know there's probably a lot of fog staying up late to watch the game, but I, I pray the, the Lord's stronger than our, our coffee running out. <laughs> but secondly, um, we are called, not only to live sin, but we're called to make disciples of all nations. And we each have a specific and unique part to play. To live sent is to live with the understanding of God's overall story. Yes, we enjoy his grace. It's not incomplete, but by itself it's incorrect. We enjoy his grace to extend his glory. He, told, uh, uh, he blessed Adam and Eve and said multiply. He blessed Noah and said multiply. He blessed Abraham and said, I'm gonna bless you to bless others to extend his glory. So we have to understand God's overarching story because listen, we can't ask ourselves anymore, am I called to the nations or not? That's the wrong question. Yes, you're called. We have to ask ourselves, what role am I supposed to play in reaching the nations? There's a cool analogy. I'm stealing from somebody, somebody smarter than me, but a story of how America, like a good picture of how America mobilized around a cause. World War II. Got any history buffs in here? A little bit? Not really. But World War II. You gotta know this. The whole country rallied around like we're not gonna get defeated by Nazis and have global takeover. And in World War II, only 10% of Americans actually went to the war. And out of those 10%, only 1% of those actually saw the front lines in battle. The other 90% were back home. And you saw the, the famous pictures of the women in the factories making bullets, uh, making like tank shells, things like that. My history's off. I don't know if they had tanks there or not. I'm sure they did. But it's like you can see that everybody was involved. They're sending care packages, writing letters. There's commercials. Everybody's wearing like, like the, the, the national pride. Everyone's saying, we're gonna do whatever it takes to win this war. And when we see God's story as a whole, I think what we realize is that's what the church should be saying and doing. We're gonna do whatever it takes to reach these nations. There might only be 10% of us that go, I don't know, could be five, could be 20, could be 50, I don't know. But we're all called to play a part because it's not a calling to reach the nations. The great commandment, the great commission is a commandment to disciple the nations. So we've gotta get this bad theology of whether I'm called or not. No, we are, we're commanded. What we're asking is, God, how can you use me? Because my parents, it's probably not strategic to go be missionaries. They're too old to learn a language. Like, I'm just being real, right? Like, it's, if, if, if you have a serious ailment in the room, like, you're probably not gonna go be successful and plant a church over 30 years. It's hard things, right? But there is something you can do. And so our, our, our question is, like, what are you calling me to do? Like, for the high school student in the room, for the college student, for the middle schooler, it might be, you are called to go. And one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, Isaiah 6, 8, when the Lord's asking whom will go, who, whom will go as a messenger for the Lord, Isaiah stands up and says, here am I, send me. For someone in this room, I believe you are called to go, and God is bringing that to the surface, and it's super scary but exciting at the same time right now. And I pray that your heart will be here am I, send me. For the person who clearly is rooted here and maybe they're not called to go or maybe they've, they've aged out and it doesn't make sense. I, what if your heart still, God, send me? It might look different, but God, here am I, send me. Um, I know we like giving like practicals, but practically speaking, we believe biblically, our convictions as a church and with the elders, the best way to reach people is to send missionaries to plant healthy biblical churches with indigenous, like local leadership so they can multiply and evangelize their own people groups. What does that mean? That means the relief work after the Hurricane Bahamas is great. The orphanage in the already reached places is great. The trips to go do a VBS at, at the church in the Dominican Republic, that's great. Been there, done that, love it. Got me fired up for God's heart. That's great. But if we're being real, these short-term trips a lot of times are more about mobilizing us and getting us to see God move in a different context. It's not making a great, it typically doesn't make a super impactful long-term long -term effect there at the country. So when we look at Paul's journey in the New Testament and, and the birth of the church in Acts 2, 
we see that the way to reach people, the way God did it, the way Scripture tells us, the way Paul did it, is they sent missionaries to live there and plant churches. So yes, we will do things in order to help mobilize people, but our goal is laser focus. We are going to send people to plant churches in unreached places where there are none. Because we want to see people who are far from God and don't know anything about Jesus be around the throne room one day saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I want to share a story because sometimes it's so overwhelming, we just need a story, a testimony. And Revelation says, they'll overcome by the power of the Lamb or the power of your testimony and the blood of the Lamb. There's something that testimonies do that stir us. There was a rich man, Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. I say that three times fast, it's hard. But he was Austrian, but lived in, grew up in Germany. Family, he had a lot of family money. He was wealthy, but radically changed, um, I think in his 20s, by Jesus. And he let these Moravian refugees come live on his estate because they were displaced in a couple of countries and they were being persecuted and the government was crazy, a lot of context, but lo and behold, over 300 Moravians came to live on his land. And he was steadfast about the gospel and they were too. And they became the Moravian church, a little over 300 people. And they started this prayer vigil one time because the Holy Spirit just came and brought this revival, I think in like 1727, something like that. And they started praying. And what they would do is they would have two people at a time partner up in their prayer chapel. And for one hour slots, they would pray. And they did it first for a day. For 24 hours, we're gonna have two people in the prayer chapel at all times. And that changed into a week. And then something just happened. Because they weren't just praying just to pray. They were praying for the nations. They were praying for this global threat. They were praying for God's glory to come to all peoples and God use us. What happened is, they started praying, their goal set out to be a week, and they said, why stop, let's keep going. The greatest thing I've seen in church history, to my knowledge, please correct me if there's something better, but for 110 years straight, those 300 people got in pairs of twos, and there was somebody every minute for 110 years praying for the nations. Wow. And in 20, they sent out 226 missionaries to 10 different countries, and now those places have churches and multiple places are reached because of them. And they sent out 226 missionaries, and in 20 years, they sent out more missionaries, that one church of 300, they sent out more missionaries in 20 years than all of Protestants in the previous 200 years combined. And so when I'm wrestling, and we're wrestling the church and saying, God, we're just a, a redneck South Georgia country, good old boy church, like in, in Vidalia, I look at this story, and they fled the country and had nothing. And I said, God, if you can use them, and you did use them, could you use us too? Amen, right? Could you use us too? And my prayer has been, God, do it again. Do it again and start with us. Because we are and have been and will be ascending church, but not only just, we, we don't want to be in our language, in our culture, we want to raise up and send missionaries. We have missionaries here on break, love on them well. We want to raise up and send missionaries for God's glory, not our own. And, and, and here's the kicker. We are most satisfied and joyous in Christ when he is most glorified because all of a sudden it becomes an adventure of this is what I was created for. And I believe that if our church rallied around reaching the nations, like a broken sprinkler, it would reach all the way across the yard, but everything in between would get wet too. If we focus on planning and sending missionaries, planting churches in unreached places, we're gonna multiply domestically. We're gonna live sent locally. And we're gonna make sure we do all three with the right end in mind. There's, I feel like I've skipped past this point, but I'm just gonna machine gun this real quick because these are practicals. Five practical ways, and you can talk about it, I'm gonna fly through it. Intentionally pray for our missionaries. Prayer does more than anything we can do in a lifetime on our own. Secondly, supporting our missionaries financially. Obviously, right? And often where our money is, our heart is. I pray a lot more for the people I support financially than ones I don't, I'll just say that. Three, proactively look for ways to care for our missionaries and encourage them. 
it gets really lonely. It gets really lonely. For understanding God's story and his heart and sharing this with others. And hopes that you raise up more missionaries. Five, look for people, look for the nations amongst us. I'm thankful God used immigration and a lot of political polarizing arguments to save my wife, Cynthia. And now I'm married to her. But praise the Lord, I'm a lot less worried about how I feel about immigration and a wall because I'm looking at God's big K kingdom. And whether he brings people or sends them or whatever it is, if the nations are on our doorstep, we had people living in a very unreached place in India and Brunswick. If the nations are on our, our, our doorstep, it's not on me to get fired up whether they should be or not. It's on me to know, like, have they heard the gospel? Does their family back home have access to the gospel? That gets me fired up, I think, just because I married Mexican. Um, <laughs> and lastly, um, I just have this vision. We'll end with this. Um, sorry it ran a little late, but it's the new year. Hopefully we started off um, well, honoring the Lord. But I have this vision of every person in our church living sent, every person daily praying for our missionaries by name, every person supporting one or more as the Lord leads financially to put some skin in the game and to help, of course. Every person asking the question, God, are you calling me to go? Every person telling others, advocating for them, caring for them, loving them, because like World War II, that analogy, we might be here, but we're commanded just as much as they are that, that are on the field there. And so it's my heart, church, like if we, if every member truly took ownership of this commandment to reach all nations, goes to the person who's over there and to me, I believe we could all live sent locally right here and far away over there. Just from understanding this global thread of God's overall theme, which is the whole story of the Bible of enjoying his grace and extending his glory. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for um, just who you are, Father. Your presence is enough for us. Your presence is enough. I pray that you take what was given today, Father. You take what you gave today, and it doesn't fall on deaf ears or hardened hearts, but it is, it is received and planted deeply and fully and you water it and you bring growth. I pray like no other church, like no other church network in the history before God, I, I desire it that we could be known as the church that reaches the nations. I would love it, God, if we sent more people than attended Sunday. Do it all you can do in Jesus' name, amen.